Well, this morning, as we said, we continue going verse by verse in this book of Philippians. In the past two weeks, we looked at that famous poem, that paragraph there about Christ in verses 6 through 11. And there we saw who Jesus is, what he did, and we saw the future, that in history he's going to come back. And every single person everywhere will either joyfully confess or will admit for the first time that he truly is the Lord. So that's where we left off last week, which leads us now to this week. And now this week, we're only going to cover the next paragraph, which if you look at your Bibles and you just heard in the scripture reading, it's only two verses. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And we're going to go slow through just these two verses this morning because what we're going to see here is honestly quite profound. And in basic, all Paul is doing is he's now transitioning from talking about what Jesus did in the gospel in verses 6 through 11 to now what we're to do in response in these two verses. But in doing so, as we're going to see, he's going to show us something quite amazing in this paragraph. But with that said, to start off our time here this morning, since it is such a short passage, just two verses, let's first begin just going quickly through these two verses so that we can feel the overall structure and point of what's here. And then we'll go to our outline for this morning. So let's do that now. Look down to your Bibles. We're just going to quickly run through verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2. The Bible says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the passage begins in verse 12 with the word therefore. That connects us to our paragraph from last week. So right away our passage is saying, in light of what Jesus did in verses 6 through 11, therefore... The text continues, my beloved, meaning Paul's writing to Christians that are loved, and we are loved here this morning as well as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then the Bible continues, as you've always obeyed, not that they were perfect people, but this means that they were overall an obedient people, and it means that whatever's coming up for us here this morning, it has to do with obedience. And then finally, verse 12 says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Meaning it wasn't about Paul and him and his presence, it's about obeying God. So I know that's a lot, but that's the beginning of the paragraph. And what you can see is that all actually is a build-up to a command then that comes at the end of verse 12. The command for us here this morning. And what's that command? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We'll come back to that later, but that then is the one command for us here this morning, which finally brings us to verse 13 which, as you can see, is the grounding or the reason for the command. And you can see that with that first word there, that word for or because. So the idea is, we're getting the paragraph now, work out your salvation. Why? Because it's God who works in you, which we'll come back to later as well. So that's the text in a nutshell. And I know that's fast, but as you can see, this paragraph is essentially three parts. It's a big buildup, then it's the command, and then it's a reason for the command. But as I said a second ago, I really do believe that what we're going to see here this morning is profound and it's full of wonder and even encouragement for us. And to see it, we're going to need to further break down the text, which will lead to our outline here this morning. So to see more fully of what's going on here, we're going to ask three questions of the text, as we often do. Three questions, and we're actually, though, going to reveal those questions as we go. 
But there'll be three questions as our basic outline, and then as we close, we'll have a few applications for us. So with all that said, church, let's now dig in, and we're going to ask our first question of the paragraph. And for this, we're going to come back to that command. It's an important command there in verse 12. And we're just going to simply ask, what does it mean to work out your own salvation? What does it mean to work out your own salvation? And we, we ask this to start because, if you remember, this is the only command, and there's a big buildup to this command. And so apparently to work out your salvation must be important. So the, their question basically is, well, what does it mean? We'll look down again at verse 12, just as a reminder of what we're into. Let's look at verse 12 again. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So to begin to answer what this means, we first have to say what it doesn't mean. And this is especially important on this command because this can really be easily misinterpreted. And that's because, as you probably see yourself, the words work and salvation are in a command here. <laughs> and we as Christians know that we are not saved by works. So, so what does this mean? Well, notice it doesn't say work to earn your salvation. It doesn't say work to grant yourself salvation. Instead, the Bible says, work out your salvation. And so this doesn't mean to earn your salvation by works or anything. Paul, of course, would never write that. And in fact, coming up in Philippians in chapter 3 especially, he's going to clarify the gospel and that we're saved by faith and faith alone. And so work out your salvation doesn't mean to earn it. That's other religions, right? That's essentially Islam in a lot of ways in a nutshell. That's modern Judaism in a nutshell. And that's honestly, I don't know if you ever considered this, that's really even secularism in a nutshell. Even though secularism isn't a religion, our default thinking as human beings is that we have to earn and merit our successes and our deliverances, if you will, in this life. So that's a lot of other worldviews, but that is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. That is not grace. So then what does the command mean? Well, essentially it means, as you can probably see, that for those of us who are saved by Jesus... Now to go and work and live and act out of the salvation that we have. And this becomes even clearer when we look at that word work there in the original language. Because at its root, that word work there is really just the basic word for do, act, work, live. And so the command may be confusing at first, but when we break it down, it's pretty plain. It's just saying you're saved. If you're saved, now go and work and do in light of the salvation you have, in light of what Jesus did in verses 6 through 11, which is why it's coming as a command here. And that then is the answer to our first question. What does it mean to work out your salvation? It's our quickest question, but it matters because if we get this wrong, as you're tracking, we will get Christianity totally wrong. So to be crystal clear, the Bible here isn't saying to earn your salvation or work for it. That'd make us the Savior. Instead, all the command means is that we're to live out, work out of the salvation that we have that was accomplished for us in verses 6 <coughs> through 11. So that's the answer to our first question. We obviously could spend a lot more time on that, but we won't, because that now leads to our second and third questions, and these really get to the heart of our passage here. And to build up these questions, notice, the passage could have ended there at verse 12. The passage could have ended there at verse 12. And in that way, it would have made a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Because it would have made a lot of sense for Paul 
to build up to a command, as he did, then to give the command, and then that's it. So the passage could have ended with, therefore, in light of what Jesus did for you, work out your own salvation. But notice, Paul doesn't end there with just that command. Instead, first, he adds this strange with fear and trembling, which is interesting. And then second, on top of that, he adds this fascinating verse 13 with that for because God works in you, reason to the command. Which then leads to our last two questions. So we ask, what does it mean to work out our own salvation? But for questions two and three, we're going to ask more why questions, if you will. Digging into what this means, and we're going to ask, why do we work out our own salvation? And then we'll also ask, and why do we do it with fear and trembling? And asking those questions will really get deep into what's going on here. So let's do that now. So now we'll ask our second question of the morning, and that's okay. So we're to work out our own salvation, but why are we to do it? Why and, and even how are we to work out our own salvation? And for this, let's once again read the command there in verse 12 and then read through verse 13. And as we do so, remember that first word of verse 13 there, that word because, that word for. And so see if you can answer our question yourself. So why do we work out our own salvation? Middle of verse 12 through verse 13, the Bible says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for because... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so perhaps you see the answer to our question. And this is where it starts to get quite profound. So why are we to work out our own salvation? Because the Bible says explicitly and plainly in verse 13, because it is God who works in you. It's a simple but it's also quite astounding what the Bible's saying. And, and to notice, to see it, notice that that word work shows up again twice here in verse 13. So verse 12, the command is you and I have the responsibility to work. Work out your own salvation. So it's something weird to do. But then in verse, verse 13, we're told why we work. And why is it? Because it's God who works in you. And to be clear, this is the same root word for work there used by Paul in verse 12 and verse 13, so it's intentional. And so he's saying, you, Christian, work and do in accordance with your salvation, but how and why? Because God works and does in you. Amen. So that's interesting. But to be honest, before we go and apply that, that's only the surface of what's honestly here. And we're going to see that in a second because just look how Paul keeps going on there and ends this paragraph in verse 13. And to see what I mean by this, just keep looking at the rest of the verse. He adds two ideas to this idea of God working. He adds this in two ways. First, notice that it's not just that we work and God works. Right? That's fascinating in itself. But it's that God works in us. And this is important because often we hear the idea that, yes, we work and God works. And then we can tend to think, sure, I work and do and act, and God works and does and acts alongside me as I work and do and act. And essentially what is thought by this is the idea that God works in our lives kind of mainly by external things. Meaning we work and do in our own way and God works and does in his own way. Or to say it most simply, the idea here that people often think is of me and God working together. Kind of side by side or hand in hand. But notice, 
That is not the Bible's point. Again, notice the text. It's not that we work and God works alongside us. Instead, where does he work? In you and I. It is God who works in you. And so this means, as you work out your salvation, it's not just externally that God works, but internally in you as well. You work and God works in you. That's the point. But that then leads to the second emphatic thing that Paul adds, and this is how he ends the paragraph. And I know this is a lot, but if you're tracking, the Bible is saying, you and I must work out our own salvation, right? That is the command. And why? Well, we do it because God works. But he's not look, working alongside us, he's working in us. But then finally, that's not even it. Look at your Bibles. Paul ends the paragraph by saying, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And now, brothers and sisters, we're getting the whole picture. And here is where our Bible gets quite profound. So the last part about his good pleasure is just saying that it's God who ultimately works in us so that we can live in a way that pleases him. Right? He helps us live for his glory. We often get that. But notice how God does that here. Paul adds the phrase, God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so now, as we work and do, it's not only that God works and does, it's not only that God works and does in us, but specifically what that means apparently is that he both wills and works in us. Wills and works. Here's why this is so profound. So this idea of separating the will of a person and the works of a person Right, it's pretty classic in philosophy. And even if you're not a philosopher or anything, I'm sure you often think like this because it's a pretty basic distinction. And the works of a person are usually thought of the, the doings and the actions of a person, right? While the will of a person is then usually talked about what's going on on the inside, right? The decisions and desires and choices and wants of a person. And again, we often think like this too. We have our works and we have our wills. Right? We have our deeds and we have our desires. We have our doings and we have our decisions. And so why is this all profound? Well, look down again in your Bibles and you see the ultimate point for us. Because notice what Paul says. He's clear that when we work, it's that God works in us. But specifically, it's that God wills and works in us. And so this means, and I hope you see it, this is what the Bible says explicitly here, that God's working in us is not just him being involved in our actions, but in our very decisions and desires and choices, our wills. Because again, that's just what the Bible says here. Verse 12, work out your own salvation. And of course, when you try to live out your salvation, that includes desiring and choosing and willing and doing. But Paul is clear to say that even in that... It isn't ultimately us. Or to say it another way, there's apparently no part of us that God can't touch or doesn't touch. Instead, the Bible says, in our willing and working, God is both willing and working. And so this means, that the Bible's saying here in a second, we're going to see some other passages that says something similar to this. That how we work and how God works isn't some 50-50 sort of thing. 
It's not that we do our part and then God does his part. And also, it's not some 99% God, 1% us sort of thing. And to be honest, right, that's how we as Christians sometimes logically want to think about this, that God, of course, does most of it, like 99%, but there must, we think, be some part of me that's only me. But the Bible says that in our willing and working, God is there both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so the point is, you and I commanded to work out of the salvation we have. It is you and I willing and working. It is. And ultimately, God's there. We are responsible to act. That's why the command is here. But ultimately, he's still in control. Now, of course, he never sins. And what we do, of course, still matters. But God is the one who wills and works in us. And to be honest, this, becomes, this applies to when we first become a Christian, meaning when we first love and decide and trust in Christ, all will words, God works and wills in you then. And of course, it applies when we live out our Christian life. God works and wills in us as then as well. And so I know it's a lot, and that's the answer to our second question. Why and how do we work out our own salvation according to the Bible? Well, the profound answer, according to Philippians 2.13, is that we do this all because God himself works in us. Amen. Because he really wills and works in us for his good pleasure. Now, I know after hearing all that, there are probably a lot of questions. <laughs> and it's great to ask questions. So if you are out here this morning and you're asking questions in your head, honestly, Praise God for that, because that means you're tracking and you're listening to God and his word here this morning. And maybe you're here even asking, well, why does this even matter? Why are we emphasizing this so much? And we will talk about that later at the end of our message. We'll apply this. But what I want us to do now is I want us to see that this is definitely not something only taught here in Philippians 2. Instead, I want us to see that this is taught clearly in other places in the Bible as well. And I think that seeing a couple of them just a couple verses will help us understand it even more. And so again, I know there are a lot of questions. And I know we haven't applied it yet. We will. But let's now quickly turn to just two other texts that I think will help us understand this more. And our first text will be 1 Corinthians 15.10. So again, I really do encourage you to follow along in the Word for yourself. So if you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's a few books to the left from Philippians, but not too far. And again, we go here because, as we'll see, what we saw in Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is reiterated here in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, just in a slightly different way. So let's read that now. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the Bible says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So if we had more time, we could break a lot down here. But overall, you probably notice how similar this is to Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Because Paul here says he is who he is, and he worked harder than any of them. You can see that. And if that's all we had in the text, perhaps we could start to think that Paul really thought he worked hard, and maybe God came and helped him, or something like that. But notice, that's not how Paul felt about his working, his actions. Instead, you probably notice the end of that verse. Paul says, the Bible says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So just like Philippians 2, 
who here is the one working? Is it Paul or, or is it God? Well, you know the answer. It is Paul. I worked. But ultimately, it isn't Paul. It's God. That's just what the Bible says. So that's our first text. But now let's turn to one more place where this is shown again. For this, turn me now to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. So Colossians is just going to be the book right to the right of Philippians. So Colossians 1. And we're going to be looking at the last two verses of Colossians chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29. And again, here we're going to see the same idea from Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 15, but said in a slightly different way. So Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so notice, Paul's doing a lot in verse 28, right? Proclaiming Christ, warning people, teaching people, trying to present people mature in Christ. And then in verse 29, he calls this toiling. And he's clear, for this I toil, so he's toiling. And he even calls us to struggle, for this I toil, struggling. But then again, notice how the verse ends. Who is toiling? Who is struggling? Once again, Paul knows the ultimate answer. In reality, according to the Bible and God's word, his toiling and struggling is ultimately, he says, God himself toiling and struggling. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me so god's the one working so now you can turn back to philippians 2 if you want so we've seen the same truth from philippians 2 first corinthians 15 colossians 1 but the point in all this brothers and sisters is this is how it works according to god's word we will and work we do yet in our willing and working god wills and works in us and again, after, know, after seeing that this morning, again, I know we have questions, and that's okay. And as a quick help, just a quick help to some of those questions, here's just maybe three things that also the Bible definitely teaches us concerning this, that God in his word teaches us. First, God in his word teaches us that he never sins, even in his control. That's clear. Second, God in his word also teaches us that though this is true, our choices and our acts still very much matter. We are still responsible, and the Bible even says that we will be rewarded, in a sense, for how we obey. And then third, though, also God in his word teaches us that he yet is still always in total control. So I hope that helps. And I know yet, even with that, there's still a lot of questions, perhaps even more questions now after that, talking about God's willing and working and our willing and working, and that's okay. But my hope for this morning is that we're just going through Philippians. My hope is that you've actually seen this to be true according to God's own word, according to the Bible. Because church, the truth is, it's not ultimately about our own logic and how we can figure it all out. It's about what God tells us in his word. And, and, and the Bible teaches us here, to sum up our three texts, that yes, we will and work. We have real choices and responsibilities, but according to Philippians 2, ultimately it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or to use 1 Corinthians 15, yes, we work hard, and we should work hard for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, but ultimately it is not us, it is the grace of God that is with us. 
or Colossians 1, yes, we toil and struggle, struggle, and we should toil and struggle, but ultimately it is God's energy that he is powerfully working within us. Now again, we will come back and apply that at the end of the message. We'll have three applications, and I hope they help. That'll, that'll be how we end the morning. But before we do that, let's just quickly finish Philippians 2, 12, and 13, because that will lead to our third and final question. It'll be a quick question. So first we asked, what does it mean to work out our own salvation? Second, we asked, why do we work out our own salvation? And now finally we'll ask, and why do we do this with fear and trembling? And we ask this because you notice that fear and trembling is what Paul adds to the command in verse 12. So we don't want to skip it. Again, see it for yourself. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what does this mean? Well, as you'll see, this question won't take long because if you've been tracking, this will now start to make a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense of why Paul wrote it this way. But before we see it, we probably need to define what fear and trembling means, because let's be honest, right? We don't usually use the word tremble anymore, but the Bible does a lot. And all it literally means is to shake out of reverence and fear. And when combined with this word fear, fear and trembling just clearly means to, to be like, oh my, this is, this is awesome. That's just all fear and trembling means. It's something that provokes reverence in your very heart that it can lead to an external reaction, if you will. So what causes us fear and trembling here? Or to ask our third question, why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, the answer's in verse 13. Because it is God who works in you. I think you'll see what this means most clearly if we read verse 13 with different emphasis put on different words. And here's what I mean. So our second question of this morning was, why do we work out our salvation? And we saw in verse 13, because it is God who works in you. In other words, we work because God works in us, right? But now with our question about fear and trembling, our answer comes from emphasizing the fact that it's God working in us. So you can read it this way. Why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Verse 13, for because it is God who works in you. In other words, what causes this fear and trembling? What causes this reverential awe in God's people of, oh my, that's amazing. What should cause that in you, as you leave here this morning and you try to go work out the salvation you have in Christ, it's the fact that God himself works in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. And that then is the answer to our last question. Why do we work it with fear and trembling? Because really, in reality, God himself wills and works in you. And so, brothers and sisters, this means once again that what we're seeing here this morning, what the Bible has taught us, isn't some theological debate or philosophical just speculation. What we're talking about instead here this morning is the real truth that the Almighty God, the Creator of God, this is the Creator God, the Sustainer of all things, the one who the Bible says dwells in perfection and glory and light. As you as a Christian work out your own salvation, as you will and decide, as you act and do, he works in you. And when we believe that, 
Let me really believe it. And when we get that, the only proper response is this sort of, oh my, right? That's, that's incredible. A fear and trembling. So that's our text. I know it's a lot, but now that we've broken down just these two verses, hopefully you can see that this is a text that not only just commands us to do something, but it's a text that if we really understand it and get it and believe it, it can really change our lives. But now finally, as we close, as we were saying, I just want to consider three applications on all this. Three applications. I really encourage you to take these applications to heart, not merely or mainly as things that you need to now go and do, but mainly as applications that show that what we've learned here this morning from the Bible really matters for our lives. So three applications, and then we'll be done. And the first one is this. Brothers and sisters, let's really believe what we saw here this morning. Believe it to be true to reality. And I know that sounds so basic, but this, this, this really has to be the big takeaway for us this morning. Believing what the Bible says here in Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 15 and Colossians 1 and elsewhere. Believing to be true and real and to believe that it's really how God and us really work. And I say this especially because we can so often think, and sometimes we're trained to think this way, we can so often think that what really changes our lives is specific points of application. Meaning, we can sometimes think that what, take, what changes our lives the most is taking Bible truths, like things you learn from Sunday morning, and applying it to a specific situation of what to do or what not to do. And although there is a place for that, and we should be doing that, I actually don't think that's how we're usually drastically changed. Instead, I think the Bible supports this. What mainly changes us is believing and clinging to massive, beautiful, powerful things about God. About who He is. About what He's done. About how He works. And believing and clinging to those things here and there, little by little, from one degree of glory to the next, as the Bible says, were changed. And so that's obviously true of big Bible ideas like the gospel, right? Believing that just by really believing it will change your life. But it's also true in believing truths like what we saw here this morning. That God is so big that he's ultimately behind all our willing and working. That he's that big, that involved, that close, that powerful. Because really believing that will lead you to looking at your life totally differently. It'll lead you to looking at the grace of God totally differently, and it will stir your heart to want to live more for Him. Amen. So that's the first application. Let's really believe this. At least the second application. This one gets to why it's so helpful for us to believe this. And the application is this. Brothers and sisters, it's not to believe it, but let's be encouraged by this. And I say this because this truth, when believed, is not only huge and profound, but it's incredibly encouraging. Just think about it this way. If it wasn't like this, if instead was that God, for some reason, didn't have any access to our willing and working, or he didn't have total access to it, then we as God's people could get really discouraged. And why? Because that would mean, at least in some degree, it would be up to us to muster up our own strength and willpower and ability. Sure, we might think that God has the ability to save us by Christ, but then we might think that it's up to us now as we live out our salvation and our willpower. And in that, we could get discouraged, because let's be honest. 
we know how weak and frail we are. But on the other hand, if what we've seen here from God's word this morning is true, then not only does God save us, but he works and wills in us, and that being the case, we can find encouragement. Because then although we still have to obey this command and want to obey this command and live for God's glory, we know that we are not in this alone. And not only that, it's also not even 50-50. It's not even 99% uh, 99 God and 1% you and me. No, it's truly your willing and working. Your willing and my willing and working really matters. And in all your willing and working, God is truly there willing and working. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged by this. That means you are never, ever alone in your very heart and decisions. God is always there, and he wills in us to enable us to go out and fight sin and love others and live for his glory day in and day out. Finally, leads to our third application. We should believe this. We should be encouraged by it. It will change our lives. But for our final application, I just want us to think, why would God set it up this way? I mean, wh why would he create human beings in such a way where he then teaches us in his Bible that when we will and work, he wills and works? And the answer is because this being true, this means that he gets all the glory. And while we get all the help, it's a win-win. And so the final application is, because this is all true, give God the glory for anything he's done in your life and anything he's doing in your life. And I think this is the ultimate answer to why the Bible even tells us this is how it works, even though it's confusing, and to why God set it up this way. And so that's that it'd be clear that he truly does get all the glory, that he and he alone is the source of all goodness and all grace. And so this means, again, that if you do anything for Christ, believing in him, fighting sin for him, loving others for him, anything at all, it means you don't get the credit for it. <laughs> Instead, he does. Right? As Jesus himself told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he gets all the glory. And honestly, that's a good thing. Because there's way more joy and comfort in glorifying and praising him right, rather than trying to find some area where we can glorify and praise ourselves. And so, brothers and sisters, with all that said, let's now leave here as a church obeying the command we saw in Philippians 2.12. As those who trust in the gospel of Christ, right, let's go forth into God's world and live out of the salvation we have. But as we do so, let's wonder at what really is going on. As we saw here this morning, it's not us and God just trying to join hands to live for his glory. No, not at all. Instead, as our text told us this morning with crystal clarity, as we will and work, as we choose and decide, as we do and toil and struggle for his glory, ultimately, it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen? Amen. Amen, Amen church. Let's pray and then we'll sing and worship.